Have you ever been really excited about something? You started it. Maybe you did good with it for a little while. But then you never finished it. Today is the last Sunday in January. Can you believe that? We're entering into the fifth full week of 2022. I was wondering, is there anybody in here who made any New Year's resolutions? If you did make New Year's resolutions, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you did, how's it going for you? How are you doing with those New Year's resolutions? Maybe some of us are going pretty strong. Maybe some of us are, are doing really well with them and we started them on January 1st and they're continuing to make a difference in our lives. Maybe some of us are struggling just a little bit. You know what New Year's resolutions are best known for? New Year's resolutions are best known, sadly, for being broken. I did a little bit of research on New Year's resolutions and I thought that it was really interesting did you know that 14% of all New Year's resolutions that are made don't even start? 14% of those who are thinking about doing New Year's resolutions only think about it. It never goes from the mind into decisions. It never makes a way into their lives. Well, if you keep looking at that, 22% of people who make New Year's resolutions give up on them within the first week. 40% of people who make New Year's resolutions give up within the first month, and 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail. You know what that means, right? If we were to invite 10 people down to the front who made New Year's resolutions for 2022, statistically speaking, only two of them are going to last until 2023. So often around the beginning of the year as people, we get really excited about these resolutions that we're making. We get really excited about all of these things that we plan to change and different transitions that we plan to make. We might hold to it for a little while, but statistically speaking, they just don't last. Over the last ten lessons in this series, We've been talking about one idea, and that's being passionate for the Lord. Being enthusiastic about spiritual things, having a fire in our hearts for Jesus. We've thought about the three commands of Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, remember that? Where Paul says, don't be slothful in zeal, don't be lazy, be fervent in spirit, be on fire, serve the Lord. We've talked about that in a number of different ways. We've looked at that topic from a number of different perspectives. From Psalm 63, we asked the question, why should we be passionate about the Lord? Throughout that psalm, David reflects on that. Why should we be passionate about God? Why should we have a fire in our hearts for Him? Well, David mentions a few different things in that psalm. He talks about how we should be passionate about God because of our relationships with Him. We should be passionate about God because of who He is, because of what He's done in our lives, and because of the victory that He's ultimately going to provide to us as followers of His. 
And then we moved on to talk about what our passion should look like. From Romans chapter 10, we suggested that our passion for God has to be centered on the Word of God. Our passion for God has to be built on a knowledge of God and a knowledge of His Word. If passion for God is not built on the Word of God, then it's just feeling. It's just emotion. And it's not going to get us anywhere. Then we went to James chapter 2 the next week. And we talked about how our passion for God should be seen in our actions. Passion is not just a feeling. It's not just a claim that we make. It's not just something that we think about in our minds, but it's something that influences every single decision that we make. What does James say? Faith without works is dead. Passion without action is dead. Then we moved on to talk about three passion killers. Three things that have the potential to kill our passion for God. Three things that we sometimes allow to kill our passion for God. We talked about complacency being lukewarm from Revelation chapter 3. We talked about people in 1 Kings 19. Just like Jezebel killed Elijah's passion for God, sometimes we allow people to kill our passion for God. We talked about trials. Sometimes the difficulties that we go through extinguish the fire in our hearts for Jesus. And then last week, we finished a series of lessons looking at passion builders. We were asking the question, how can we build a passion for God? Well, we've talked about it in a number of different ways. Now, how can I live a life of enthusiasm for Jesus? We talked about, from 2 Corinthians 5, 1-10, the judgment seat of Christ. Then we talked about the love of Christ, how we're to be controlled or compelled by His love in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. And then last week, we talked about how we are to be connected to the people of Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This morning, I want us to close out this series of sermons by looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. What Paul wants us to have in this section of Scripture is a passion that lasts. A passion that endures. If we don't have a passion that lasts, then it's not going to be able to make a difference in our lives. Let me catch up here for just a minute. Oh, I don't think we're going to catch up here for just a minute. Um, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll just go without the PowerPoint, without the keynote for this morning. So it's kind of passion that lasts. It's kind of like what we talked about just a few minutes ago, what we illustrated by talking about New Year's resolutions. Sometimes as people, we get really excited, but the excitement doesn't last. As people, we're, we're passionate, and we get passionate about a number of different things, but sometimes that passion doesn't endure. Have you ever been guilty of doing that spiritually? When I was putting together this lesson, to be honest with you, I really had to take a hard look at myself. Because this is something that I've struggled with. This is something that I've dealt with in my life as a follower of Jesus. Think about it. How many times have you started a Bible reading plan and you got a few chapters into Genesis and didn't finish it? How many times have you committed yourself to prayer? I'm, I'm going to keep that line of communication open with God. But then you look up and it's been seven or eight days and you haven't talked to Him once. How many times have you felt a burden for lost souls? Souls out there who don't know Jesus, who are going to spend an eternity separated from Him. But then you never reach out. 
How many times have you seen a need and felt such a compassion for people who are hurting, but then never reached out to meet that need, never reached out to serve that person? Our passion for God shouldn't diminish. Our passion for God should not fade. Our passion for God shouldn't look like a roller coaster. Where one minute it's up at the top and then the next few seconds it's down in the bottom and it goes up and down and all the way around. According to what we find in Colossians, the second chapter, we are to have a passion that lasts. A passion that endures. Notice if you have your Bibles open to Colossians 2 and verse number 6 that our text for this morning begins with the word therefore. I know that this is a little bit cheesy, but it's going to stick in your mind. You know what's coming, don't you? When you see the word therefore in Scripture, what do you do? You look and see what it's there for? You'll remember that. When you see the word therefore in Scripture, it points back to what has been talked about previously. So as we're standing in Colossians 2 and verse 6, what has been talked about previously? One thing that I find to be so amazing about the book of Colossians is that it's all about Jesus. It seems when you read throughout this four chapter book, the Colossians were being bombarded with some kind of false teaching that encapsulated and included a lot of different things. What Paul tells the Colossians, when you look at chapter 1, even when you look at the first five verses of chapter 2, is that Jesus is all that you need. That's what Paul wants the Colossians to know. That's what this entire book is about. Jesus is all that you need. When you look in the first five verses of Colossians 2, Paul talks about how the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding are found in Jesus and they're found in Jesus alone. It's as if Paul is looking at this church and saying, if you would just listen to Jesus, if you would just receive the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that comes from Him, then you wouldn't be deceived. You wouldn't be deluded by this false teaching teaching that's working its way through the congregation. He says, I want you to get Jesus is all that you need. You don't need Jesus plus something else. You just need Jesus. And that's a pretty powerful message today as well, isn't it? We don't need Jesus plus something else. We just need Jesus. We need to find the treasures of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in Him. If we'll just listen to Jesus, then we won't be led astray. If we'll just listen to Jesus, we won't be led away by different false doctrines or false teachings that circle in Christendom today. So what do we do as Christians? What is Paul talking about? We listen to Jesus. We find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding in Him. We recognize that Jesus is all that we need. So how does that change our lives? How does that change the way that we live? Well, that's what we're talking about here in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Jesus is all that you need. Therefore, have a passion that lasts. According to this text, if we're going to have a passion that lasts, there are five things that we need to do. There are five things that we need to consider. Number one, when you look in verse number 6, in order to have a passion that lasts, we have to have what we had. In order to have a passion that lasts, we have to have what we had. In verse 6, Paul talks about the Colossians receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, let's pause right there for just a second. Jesus offers a lot to us, doesn't He? 
Jesus offers to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. According to Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Jesus offers to us Himself. He offers to us His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus offers to us grace, forgiveness, mercy, redemption, reconciliation. But yet, as we see in verse number 6, there is a moment at which we receive that. What is that moment? What is the moment that we receive Jesus? What is the moment that we receive what Jesus offers to humanity? There are a number of different verses that we could go to, but if your Bibles are open, skip down with me just a few verses in Colossians chapter 2 to verse number 11. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11, notice Paul says, In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here Paul is using a metaphor. He's talking about circumcision. We know that circumcision cut away something physical. Here we're talking about the circumcision of Christ. Something that cuts away something spiritual. The circumcision of Jesus that cuts away that old body of flesh. What is that what is the circumcision of Christ when does that happen verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you verse 13 who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses what is the moment that we receive Jesus How do we receive everything that Jesus offers to us? Paul says we receive Jesus whenever we're both buried and raised with Him in the waters of baptism. We receive Jesus whenever we're baptized into Jesus. Notice in this text, baptism is really not about us. Baptism is not about what we do. In this text, baptism is about what is done to us. Baptism is not about our working. It's not about what we do. When you look at the end of verse 12, baptism is about the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Baptism is the moment, like we said a moment ago, where God cuts away that old body of flesh. Baptism is the moment where in verse number 13, we go from being dead in our trespasses and sins to being made alive together with Jesus. Baptism is the moment where God forgives us Underline it, not just of some, but all of our trespasses. So you go back to Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. What is Paul telling us to do here? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. You know, if you haven't made that decision if you haven't made the decision to be both buried and raised with Jesus in baptism, can I ask you to think about it? Can I ask you to make that decision as soon as possible? There's a sense of urgency to this. But if you have made that decision to be buried in baptism and raised up with Jesus by the powerful working of God, then I want you to reflect with me for just a second. Can you remember how that felt? Can you remember the emotions that you had whenever you were baptized into Christ? I can. I remember how free I felt. I remember how I felt cleansed. The blood of Jesus covering over all the sins that I've committed. I remember how I felt passionate. 
I felt excited about Jesus and my newfound relationship with Him. I felt like I could do anything for Him. I felt like I could go out and conquer the entire world for Jesus. Did you feel that way? Did you have a similar experience? Now go back to verse number 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. What is Paul telling us to do? The same passion that you had for Jesus when you were raised up out of the waters of baptism, that is the same passion that you are to live with every day of your life. The enthusiasm, the excitement in that moment where you dedicated your life to Jesus and all of your sins were forgiven, when you felt so free and cleansed and passionate and excited, that's exactly how you should feel every day as you live your life as a Christian. In order to have a passion that lasts, we must have what we had. We must have in the present what we had in the past. Have you ever seen love and a marriage grow cold? Have you ever experienced what that's like? Have you ever seen a marriage go from something like this to something like this? How does it happen? Does it happen all at once? Does it happen with the snap of a finger? That's a gradual process, isn't it? It's a gradual process. It's something that more than likely happens very slowly. It's a gradual process of neglect, misplaced priorities, miscommunication. Do we realize that the same thing can happen in our relationships with God? More than likely, when a person is baptized, they start out really strong. And they're really passionate. And they're really excited about the Lord. This newfound relationship that they have with Him. All of their sins have been forgiven. And that's an exciting thing. But what Paul is wanting us to understand in this text, we can't allow that passion to grow cold through misplaced priorities, through neglect, through not communicating with God and and not allowing God to communicate with us. We can't allow what we had to diminish or to grow cold. In order to have a passion that lasts, we must have what we had. We need to live every day with the same enthusiasm, the same excitement, the same passion that we had whenever we first devoted our lives to Jesus. Whenever we first received Him in faith and obedience. Number two, in order to have passion that lasts, Paul says as we transition into verse number seven, we must be rooted in Jesus. I want you to take a look at this tree. I want to offer a challenge to you. I'm sure that we have a lot of strong people in here this morning, people who are a lot stronger than I am. I want to offer you a challenge. After worship this morning, I want you to get in the car with me. We're going to drive down the road, and I want you to push over with your bare hands a tree that looks like that. Any volunteers? Anybody want? Oh, we have one right there. You know, I would really like to see that. I think that would be a pretty good laugh. You look at that tree, you think you could push it over? Besides this one right here. I'm saying no. I'm thinking I can't do that. Why not? Because that tree is rooted in the ground. That tree's roots run deep underneath the surface. And because that tree has roots, because it's rooted in the ground, it's not going to move. It's going to stand firm. Now as Christians, we go through a lot of different trials, don't we? As Christians, we endure all kinds of different temptations. 
what stops those trials and temptations from causing us to fall away? We talked about earlier in our sermon series, passion killers. There are many things out in the world that want to kill our passion for the Lord. What stops them from actually doing it? Be rooted in Jesus. Just like that tree has roots that run deep underneath the surface and it holds that tree in place, that tree is going to stand firm because of its roots. As Christians, our roots have to run deep in Jesus. Our roots have to run deep in His church. We can't allow our faith, we can't allow our relationships with God to be surface level. Our roots have to run deep. If we're going to have a passion that lasts, we must be rooted in Jesus. You know, that's not something that just happens, right? That's something that takes time, it's something that takes energy, and it's something that takes effort. I'm going to have to invest, if I'm going to be rooted in Jesus, I have to invest time and energy and effort into my relationship with Jesus when I could be using that time, energy, and effort somewhere else. Instead of sitting in front of a screen, I'm going to set aside time for Bible study and prayer. Instead of only thinking about myself, I'm going to think about others and I'm going to reach out to them and serve them. Like we talked about last week, I'm going to make the times when the church meets together a priority in my life, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. I'm going to be connected to the people of Christ. In order to have a passion that lasts, we have to be rooted in Jesus And in order to be rooted in Jesus, we have to put in some very serious time and some very serious effort. Number three, in order to have a passion that lasts, we must be built up in Jesus. Paul, when you look at the beginning of verse 7, he changes the metaphor. He goes from a metaphor that is defined by nature, being rooted, to a metaphor that's defined by construction, being built up. This is a picture of a building called the Burj Khalifa. It's located in the city of Dubai. It's the tallest building in the world right now. From the very bottom of the building to the very tip of the little point, it's 2,722 feet. That's a long way up, isn't it? 2,722 feet. How did that building get that tall? How was that building built up 2,722 feet? Well, what you do is you go 2,722 feet in the air and you start at the top and you make sure that little tip is just right. Now, if you're going to build that building 2,722 feet up in the air, you have to start with a solid foundation. And once you have that solid foundation in place, you build it up as far as you want to build it up. If we're going to have a passion that lasts, we have to be rooted in Jesus. We have to have a strong foundation. And Paul presents that to us in this text. But notice, that's not the only thing that we are to have. That's not the only thing that we are to do. If we're going to have a passion that lasts, it's not just about being rooted in Jesus, but it's also about being built up in Jesus. Once I have that solid foundation in place, once I have roots that I'm not going to go anywhere, my roots are running deep in Jesus and His church, it's time to grow. It's time to build. It's time to go up. Just like with the building, you start with the foundation and you build up. As Christians, we start with the foundation and we grow throughout the entirety of our lives. We're never going to reach a point where we can't grow anymore. It's a continual process of growth. A continual process of being built up. In order to have passion that lasts, that's what we do. 
As Peter says at the end of 2 Peter 3, we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be built up in Jesus. This is a picture of Pablo Casals. He was one of the most influential composers and players of the cello in the 20th century. Whenever he turned 95 years old, a really young reporter came out to ask him some questions. The first question that he asked Mr. Casals is, why do you continue to practice six hours a day on the cello? You're 95. You're already one of the greatest people to ever write, to ever play the cello. Why do you continue to practice so much? Mr. Casals with a, gr a grin on his face, he said, I continue to practice because I think that I'm just starting to make some progress. As Christians, that's the mindset that we are supposed to have. If we're going to have a passion that lasts, we have to keep making progress. We have to keep growing. We have to keep being built up in Jesus. Why? Because we're never going to arrive. We're never going to get to a place where we can't grow anymore. You know the Burj Khalifa, that really tall building we saw a minute ago? It's really, really tall, but it's not going to get any taller. It's reached its max height. That doesn't happen to us as Christians. We don't get to the point where we can't grow any longer. Throughout the entirety of our lives, we are to continue to grow, to continue to progress in the faith. So you think about where you are right now and where you were spiritually five weeks ago at the beginning of 2022 or one year ago at the beginning of 2021 or two years ago. Have you grown in your faith? Have you been built up in Jesus in the last five weeks or are you staying at the same level? Have you even decreased a little bit? Because if we're going to have a passion that lasts, we have to be built up in Jesus. Number four, in order to have passion that lasts, we have to be established in the faith. Verse number seven. Notice this, contrary to some more modern translations, this is not talking about a personal faith in Jesus. Sometimes the New Testament does talk about a personal faith in Jesus, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about my faith. It's not talking about your faith. It's talking about the faith. When the New Testament writers talk about the faith, they're talking about the entirety of Christian teaching. They're talking about the body of truth that God has delivered to us in the pages of this book. So what is Paul telling the Colossians to do? Be established in the faith. Be established, verse number 7, in what you've been taught. Be established in what you've been instructed. Be established in how God's will has been revealed to you. That would have been a very applicable message to the Colossians. Because like we said a few minutes ago, they were being bombarded with false doctrine. They were being bombarded with false teaching. Paul says, you've already been taught. You've already been instructed. You know the faith. You know what's right and wrong. You know what God wants and what God doesn't want. So be established in that. Don't move away from that. Don't fall away from that. If we're going to have a passion that lasts, we have to be people of the book. We have to be established in the faith. Established in the body of truth that God has delivered to us throughout these pages. There are many people out in the world, even people who claim to be Christians, who believe that it doesn't really matter what you believe. Kind of ironic, right? The only thing that they believe is that it really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what church you attend. 
It doesn't matter what you believe about X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter what religious group you're a part of or what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about baptism. It doesn't matter how you worship because we're all just on different paths going to the same place. Have you ever heard that? Do you know that the Bible doesn't really teach that? You go back to Jude in verse 3. And Jude tells us there that the faith, the faith that we're to be established in, has once for all been delivered to the saints. It's been delivered to us throughout the pages of this book. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 that we have all that we need. God's divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So don't be led away. Don't be led astray by different false doctrines or or different false teachings. Be established in the faith. You've been taught. You've been instructed in what's right and wrong. When we open up the pages of Scripture, God tells us what He wants. He tells us what He doesn't want. So don't be led away from that. Be established in the faith. Don't be tricked into thinking like many people do. You can say one thing about whatever Christian doctrine, and I can say the opposite thing about whatever Christian doctrine, and somehow both of us can be right. It doesn't work that way. If we're going to have passion that lasts, it's not just about what we do or how we live or the decisions that we make. We have to be established in the faith. We have to be established in what God has delivered to us in the pages of this book. And then finally, number five, in order to have passion that lasts, we must abound in thanksgiving. I like that word abound. Because abound doesn't just mean a little bit. It doesn't just mean a drip. It doesn't just mean a sprinkle. This word abound means to overflow. You picture a little kid maybe pouring a glass of water and they don't quite know when to stop. It's overflowing on the sides. That's what abounding is. Abound means to excel in something. We are to abound. We are to overflow. We are to excel in thanksgiving. Why? Think about the God that we serve. Think about how God has blessed our lives tremendously. I love how James says it in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You realize what he's saying there? If you have something good in your life, that has come from above. If you have something good in your life, that's been given to you by the hand of God. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God has blessed us. He has blessed us physically emotionally, socially, intellectually. Most of all, God has blessed us spiritually. He's always present in our lives. He's always working behind the scenes. So how should we respond to that? Abound in thanksgiving. Overflow, excel in gratitude for what God has done in your life. In order to have passion that lasts, we have to abound in thanksgiving. You know why? Because thanksgiving changes us. If you're truly thankful for what God has done for you, there's no way that you can be complacent about Him. If if you're truly grateful for who God is and what God has done in your life and what God offers to you, there is no way that you can be lukewarm towards Him and not really care one way or the other when it comes to spiritual things. Whenever we're abounding in thanksgiving, whenever we're truly grateful and overflowing with gratitude for who God is and what He continues to do in our lives, we're going to be passionate about it. We have no choice but to be enthusiastic, to be excited, to live a life that is on fire for Jesus. These last ten lessons have led us to this one. 
These two verses in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, and I would suggest that if we don't get this, everything else that we've talked about is not important at all. We have to have passion that lasts. And in order to have passion that lasts, there's five things that we have to do. We have to have what we had. We have to be rooted in Jesus. We have to be built up in Jesus. We have to be established in the faith. And we have to abound, overflow, excel in thanksgiving. The real question is, where are you this morning? Are you passionate about God? Are you living a life right now that is on fire for Jesus? A more important question to ask is, is your passion going to last? Is your enthusiasm going to stick? Is your fire for Jesus going to continue to burn? As we look back on everything we've said about passion, can I ask you to make a commitment? To make a commitment not just to be passionate about God, but to have a passion that last. Will you commit yourself this morning? Will you commit yourself this day to having a passion that lasts? Maybe you want to make that commitment privately between you and God alone. I hope you'll do that sometime today. Spend some time with God. Spend some time talking to Him about how you are going to be passionate about Him and it's going to last. It's not just going to be a phase. Maybe you'd like to make that commitment publicly. And you'd like to stand before God. You'd like to stand before your brothers and sisters and say, it starts today. It starts right now. I'm going to have a passion that lasts. Would you make that commitment this morning, whether privately or publicly? We'd love to help you as together we stand and sing.